this is Jason, and welcome to Stand By for Paradise. As we broke through the bottom of the cloud deck, I looked out the window at the tops of the palms. The uninterrupted jungle canopy filled the window with a uniform green carpet. There was only one problem. The windows on the right side of the plane were still showing nothing but the slate gray sky. Coming into the airstrip in pan-flat Cozumel, Mexico, the windows should have shown a bit of sky and a bit of ground on both sides, not only one or the other. We were coming into the airfield one wing down, falling out of a hurricane spinning its way out across the whole gulf between here and Houston. Abruptly and without warning, the views in the windows swapped sides. Rotund retirees, aged and pre-tanned, gripped hard at the handrests and planted flip-flop clad feet into the tightly woven blue carpet. There was a roller coaster flutter in the pit of my stomach as the trees lurched closer, then everyone pressed back in their seats as the captain smashed on the gas. The rolling airliner did the most athletic thing it had probably ever done, and we plowed back into the cloud deck in a move that would probably result in paperwork after the flight. Sorry folks, the captain drawled without any further explanation. We're gonna head around and take another run at that. We should have you on the ground in a few minutes. On the ground in a few minutes, our plane disgorged its wobbly, slightly airsick contents down two sets of rolling stairs onto the sweltering tarmac. It was beginning to rain, which prompted many passengers to instinctively raise rumpled magazines over their heads and scamper in boat shoes and floral prints toward the terminal doors. My wife and I kept an easy pace. It was so hot and humid, it scarcely mattered if you were hit with actual rain or not. Besides, we hadn't come to Mexico to hurry. The most crowded we would be on the whole trip was on the shuttle to our resort. The brown Dodge minivan, unaltered from civilian service except for the light on top and the magnetic sign with a phone number on the door, was packed to the brim and beyond. I had always wondered what it would be like to vacation at one of those ultra-exclusive resorts where you have acres of beach to yourself and empty dining rooms filled only with stunning views and overly attentive waiters. As we spilled from the van into the open-air lobby of our hotel, I realized I was about to find out what those resorts were like. A pile of money was not what had brought about this experience, though for our hotel was normally a garden variety, budget all-inclusive for the masses. We had passed a guard at the gate to our hotel, but the bulge under the back of his pastel polo shirt was only a radio. At the resorts in Playa del Carmen, just across the water, a scant 11 miles away, the guards were wearing fatigues and carrying assault rifles. A recent rise in newsworthy kidnappings for ransom in 2012 had put a damper on American interest in visiting Mexico. Though the beaches were still paper white and the water is sparkling as ever, the gates to paradise were literally guarded by Mexican army troops reassigned to reassure would-be guests that their stay wouldn't be longer than expected. 
A Mai Tai with a military escort was not to the liking of many Americans, it seemed, and resort bookings had plummeted. Add to that our early season hurricane, and the bungalows along the water stood in empty shuttered rows. The hammocks all swayed in the breeze, but listlessly and empty, rather than slowly under the weight of some relaxing middle manager from Georgia or Texas. The bar stools sat mostly empty around the tiki hut beyond the pools. Floral-shirted bartenders talked to one another as there was no one else to talk to. No laughing packs of escaping suburban soccer moms having their Mamma Mia moment were to be found toying with one timid shot of tequila to celebrate a wedding, a divorce, or both. Only a few middle-aged men sauntered along the flower-draped paths, Hawaiian shirts open over their beer guts to let out the building heat of a sunburn from an ill-timed nap. The whole place had a strange, out-of-kilter feel to it, but we didn't mind. Not one of the six people in our party were the resort type anyhow. We would sooner have been out and about exploring on our own rather than cooped up in the cloistered paradise of this little Disneyland version of Mexico. You may as well try anything once if you can, though, including being pampered. Days passed in that strange way that can only happen when you are completely cared for by people you never really see. Each day had a similar rhythm of beach time, showers, naps, little adventures on the water, and then hunting up a real shirt to put on for the daily trek to try a new dining room somewhere on the resort. Each of the restaurants had a different theme, though we were beginning to notice commonalities. The red sauce on the pizzas at the Italian place had a similar tang to the mild salsa that came with the chips down by the water. The desserts in the American joint at the end of the private beach looked suspiciously like the ones served at lunch under the wide veranda next to the pool with the swim-up bar. The guests at the resort were starting to look similar as well. There were so few of us that it was impossible not to recognize one another. We would sometimes wave awkwardly as we crossed paths going down to the water or coming back to mill about haphazardly like cows outside a barn as we waited for the lunch spots to be opened. After a few days, our crew had been baptized in the clear ocean from all the stress we brought with us, and we were antsy for adventure. There were conversations with the concierge over the wide marble front desk in the morning sea breeze. Phone calls were made, and soon two white jeeps without any doors, tops rolled back, and oozing an air of limitless adventure pulled into the drive. Kidnappings, or adult nappings, were harder, we figured, on an island. Where could you take someone once you had napped them? It didn't matter. We needed some open air and the edgy fun of not keeping your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. The hurricane that had blown us here was finally passing and the sun was peeking through the lumbering hippopotamus clouds still scattered about the sky. At the south end of the island, the endless jungle finally broke away at the bend in the Quintana Roo C1, where the paved road turned north again. Only a thin strip of road ventured any further around the Laguna Colombia to the Faro Celarain. There, Cozumel ran out of south 
and all that lay before us was the sudden wind and the open sea filled with the most stunning cobalt waves I had ever seen washing over the jagged reef. Any trip on or near the Yucatan, though, would not be complete without having at least one look at some ancient ruins. Driving back up the coast, we were still bathed in the fresh wind off the sea until we reached the only turn at Mezcalitos, where the road plunges left into the jungle and across the island. Deeper and deeper inland we drove, leaving the lone highway and heading further north through the unmolested jungle. Buzzing along the road in our jeeps under the jungle fronds had suggested a Jurassic Park feel, but touring the ruins, things were getting downright Indiana Jones. The jungle had barely been carved back from some of the great stone buildings, greedy knobby roots reaching out to pull apart the limestone walls. Iguanas of a size I had never seen drug themselves across the ground and up into the low branches of the trees, scaly scraping noises coming from their bellies on the ground, and occasionally surprised shrieks coming from the inattentive camera-toting tourists who had set the lizards crawling out of reach. The path to the first temple was well marked and showed the evidence of a road that had withstood hundreds of years of serious attempts by the jungle to erase it. Some of the blocks were still tightly set together, though their dished tops now harbored recent rain or tufts of grass between their bone-white rims. After looking over the first temple, we followed the signs to the second stop shown on the diagram on the visitor's map. Here, reality and representation diverged. The signs pointed straight down a green tunnel in the forest, but instead of an old rescued road to walk on, there were only the tops of angled stones sticking out of water and mire on the jungle floor. The few stones and patches of what looked like dry ground were just far enough apart that you could almost hop between them if you stuck every landing. We tightened camera straps and shoelaces and took a leap. Then a second, then a wobbly third. It was not long before my luck ran out. A promising nub of stone was within reach, but I didn't see the faint green slime covering it. No grease or lubricant made by the mind of man could have a lower coefficient of friction. My rugged trail running shoes stood no chance. I went down full length into the green water and felt a stab of pain in my left hand. Pulling myself up quickly out of the sucking mud, I saw a bright river of blood streaming from my palm. Of all the places on earth I could think to get an open wound, this was one of the least inviting. My head began swimming with dark thoughts about what kind of superbugs and mysterious tropical diseases had probably leapt eagerly under my skin in the murky water. We were far enough in that seeing the rest of the ruins seemed as quick as trying to go back. We used the last of my water in a futile attempt to clean the wound and went on looking at the jungle slowly reclaiming the temples. Driving back to the city of Cozumel itself, the crosswalks were filled with tourists heading back to the towering cruise ships, the back of a calf or shoulder taped up to cover a new, possibly ill-considered tattoo. The hole in my bandaged hand was the only mark I would take home, healing eventually into a faint white crescent on my palm.
That night, after taking a pile of mystery medications bought at a pharmacy with a few pesos and some very dodgy, rusty Spanish, I sat at the end of the tiki bar, one bandaged hand on the counter and the other around a 50-cent Mexican lager. The sea breeze and empty beach were behind me, and the pool sat as glassy and empty under the strings of party lights as the photo in the brochure. Everyone else had gone to bed early after our big day on the road, tired as you can only be after a day in the wind and sun. I turned to the sea and looked out at the twinkling lights of Playa del Carmen just visible above the dark water. Taking a sip of my beer, I looked past the lights into the great darkness beyond. I thought about the soldiers standing at the gates of those resorts across the water and the quagmire of drugs headed to the States and tourists coming back down that kept this local economy thriving and in peril at the same time. I let my mind fill with visions of the wild, endless jungle and the ancient temples it had eaten over the centuries. The little walled-in slice of ocean front I sat on was so small, so tame. Even today's adventures had been constrained to Cozumel's one loop of highway that ringed the island like a giant grown-up go-kart track. A few days later, I closed the door to our cabana for the last time and went to find my wife sitting by her luggage in the shade of the high, open lobby. Dodge minivans were dropping off fresh loads of tourists just like us, though they were not yet sunburned and still carried themselves with that slight tension of the overworked and underrested. They prodded at their smartphones habitually and uselessly, as back then few US carriers had signal on the island. Finally, we piled into a van and drove out past the guard in his pastel polo shirt. Everyone in the back passed a few pesos forward to tip our driver. It was time to shed the last foreign currency we couldn't spend at home and get ready to be blasted back to our daily lives courtesy of American Airlines. The week had been blissfully uneventful, allowing us to build up the energy for a fresh start on life that only vacations can provide. I looked at the clear skies over the gulf and hoped our departure would be less eventful than our arrival. It is, after all, harder to get a second try to take off than a landing. This is Stand By for Paradise, a little show made by me, Jason Fleming. You can read the full text of each episode as well as see pictures from these stories at standbyforparadise.com. If you like the show, please share it with someone. If you love the show, you can support it on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.